This podcast is shareable. This show is part of the Shareable Podcast Network. To learn more about joining and to see all of our shareable shows, go to shareable.fm. Hey, what's up? It's Jeff. And I'm Caroline. We're your hosts of Shareable, the podcast about people and technology and the impact that those two forces have on our lives and careers. If you're a new subscriber, we want to thank you for subscribing. And if you're an existing subscriber, welcome back. We love you. And if you haven't subscribed yet, what are you waiting for? Get on it. Now, without further ado, let's get to the episode. Caroline, I had an incredible idea the other night, and I have to tell you about it. Tell me about it. I set up a phone number so that our audience can call in and tell us all about the ways that people and technology have changed their lives. That's awesome. I know. It's great. And they could also tell us what they like and don't like about the show. So I'm going to give them the number. Hopefully, they're ready for it. 551-25-SHARE. I hope they call in. There's going to be plenty we can do there. Definitely. That's it. All right, How else cool. can our listeners so, get involved? Here we go. That is a great question, and I'm super glad you asked about it. I set Welcome up a back Facebook group exclusively for subscribers. Uh, today's so guest is Chris guests. Sparks, and today he and I are going to discuss the intersection awesome, of psychology another great and technology, question, Caroline. and specifically we're going to look at list. the element so of productivity, so and we're going to look at the way that that impacts our lives and careers. Um, earlier, before this show, Chris and I got a little chance to talk uh, about the premise of this show. And Chris had told me that he's already been thinking for most of his career about the impact and uh, how technology and humanity interact with each other. And because of the profound impact that those two forces have had in his own life. So I think it's going to be a a really great conversation. They'll very naturally flow. So one thing that I want to bring up that we uh, kind of uncovered that we, we both really strongly believe is that technology is rewiring our brains and it's doing it in ways that we may not understand for decades. So with that, I want to welcome Chris Sparks to the show. Chris, thanks for being here with me. This is awesome, Jeff. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, absolutely, man. So before we jump too much into the topic uh, that we we mutually want to discuss, do me a favor and just give people a little bit of an introduction to who you are, what you're all about, what you work on. And um, this is not a show for you to be uh, humble. Uh, so, you know, humble brag it up, man. Talk about what you do and be, be proud of yourself. Yeah, so I'm most known for my success as a poker player. Uh, I was once one of the best online poker players in the world. So I have made a living off of technology and identifying um, psychological biases in my opponent and using them for my own advantage. Um, These days, I've kind of flipped the table on that where I try to correct for our own biases. Uh, I work one-on-one with entrepreneurs to maximize their effectiveness in their work. So how that usually structures day to day is making sure they're working on the right things and then recreating the conditions so that they can maximize their time, energy, and focus towards those things. Uh, so my most of my attention for the last few years has been looking across fields and seeing what are the commonalities behind peak performers. What are the routines, habits, and systems that generalize across fields? And then distilling those down into techniques for deep work. So these themes of people, sort of self-mastery and technology, how can we make the most out of our tools and adapt to the environment we find ourselves in today? Uh, These are very near and dear to my heart. 
Got it. Okay. So I have a bunch of things to ask you before we jump into everything because um, I, I just need to know certain things. So for instance, uh, you said you were one of the top online poker players. And that is really interesting to me because when I think about poker, I always think of it as a game where really you're reading the other players at the table. But if you're not at the table with them and you're just simply looking at a screen, and I, I don't know, maybe I'm, I'm not seeing in my head correctly what online poker looks like, but how is, how is online poker different than playing in person with someone? How do you account for the psychology of the game of poker when you're doing it online? Well, in one sense, they're very different games in that the skill set that you use is very different, where in person, as you alluded to, um, it's very reductionistic on the exact situation you're in. You're taking in all of this information from your immediate sensory environment. Um, so you're, but at the same time, just as we are having a conversation over the internet without seeing each other's faces, there's still another person on the screen, right? We are still interacting on a subconscious level that I can sense your emotional state, even though I can't see you, right? So playing online poker, there is another person on the screen who you are trying to model what's happening inside their head. And it sounds strange, but on a sort of quantum level, you can identify where they aren't confident and bet more, or if they are confident uh, by pulling back. Uh, so it's, it's mostly pattern recognition and said it's, it's intuitive experience where intuition is essentially um, accumulated experience. Uh, it's difficult to put into words, but even if you can't see the person, you can still have some sense of them. And psychology plays a huge role. Um, Online, the because you're able to track, um, there's a statistical element as well. So people have tendencies over time, and you can kind of lead them into situations where they're making statistical errors. So it's creating your own playing field, dictating the field of play. Um, yeah, it's it's a it's like a a level of four dimensional uh, rock paper scissors right where the the options available to you are limited but the strategy is infinite because you're always trying to say um you're always trying to stay one level beyond your opponent got it that makes perfect sense there are a lot of people who do the studying high performers thing so you know uh, probably familiar with the book um by Tim Ferriss, uh, it was it Tools of Titans, I think is what it's called, where he really goes through and, and, and looks at a lot of high-performing people. How much would you say that the work that you did in poker has informed what you do with that information when you find it? Hmm. So these days, there's no lack of information. Uh, the limiting factor is, is rarely not having ideas. It's the ability to execute. So my, um, my biggest mental model from poker is this idea of expected value, that every piece of information has an inherent value based on the situation that I'm in. So expected value is what are the chances that this is going to be successful times the expected outcome if it is successful, right? So there are a million different things we can be doing to improve at any given moment. Right, we're going to die with a full to-do list. 
But at any given time, one of those things on our list is the bottleneck. The bottleneck being the thing that is most limiting us from getting towards where we want to go. So when I'm trying to identify those commonalities, there's a lot of different things we can do, but what what pattern shows up the most among the people who are on the path that I'd like to be on? Um, there's a saying in, in poker that you can only play one table at a time, right? So the, the most important decision you can make is the table that you decide to play at. Um, same sort of thing, because our time, attention, focus, uh, energy are all limited, um, everything we do comes at the expense of everything else. So this this culture where there's a tip here, a hack here, you know, five ways you can get through email box faster, 10 ways you can have your social media replies, get more comments, right? All of these hacks versus dedicating that extra focus towards the thing that's actually going to move the thing forward, right? Not trying to sit at every table at once, but being very intentional about the table you choose to sit at. Um, I find there's so many mental models from poker that cross over into high performance and said like there's many paths to the top of the mountain. And I'm always trying to think about what's the path that's most alignment with the one I want. I dig it because, and tell me if I'm reading this right, but it sounds to me like you would be more of a proponent of priority management over time management, where it's probably more important instead of thinking about how much time something's going to take, think about how important that thing is and how much it will free up future time or allow you to accomplish other goals. Absolutely. When people talk about time management, really they should be managing their priorities. Um, We're always saying, I don't have time for that, but that's really code for this is not a priority for me. So I'm always thinking about my time like a portfolio and that is the way I'm spending my time reflective of my portfolio of priorities. And from time to time, after I've done that reflection, I bring that portfolio back into balance by something that is a high priority that I haven't been giving the time it deserves, putting systems into place so that that becomes more likely to happen in the future and vice versa. Essentially making the things that I want to do more easier to do and the things I want to do less harder to do by adding friction to those. Got it. I dig it. So let me ask you this. You work with entrepreneurs, which I mean, the world of entrepreneurship could go into a hundred different disciplines. So I'm sure you probably have a certain type of entrepreneur that that shows up more often than others. So this is going to skew your answer. But in service of the working with these entrepreneurs to identify their priorities and kind of get out of their own way and be more productive and all of that sort of work that you do, um, th- there's kind of like two ways that it seems like you could approach that. You could look for time-saving tools or tools that allow you to amplify and um, um, exponentially increase your ability to do things. And then on the other side, there's the mindset necessary to do that. So the psychology side of things. And given that these are both interests of yours, I'm curious how you go about assessing where's the right place to go to work with a client or whether, like, is it a kind of a standard set of um, practices and processes that you implement or is it more of a reading of the situation, which I'm sure everything is a little bit to a little bit of a reading of the uh, of the circumstances, but how do you determine what's really needed, whether it's the mindset work or it's the tools and technology and productivity side? Sure. I mean, the short, short, short answer is both and it depends. Uh, so, in consulting. so on the, on the yes side, uh, there are things that I see that universally generalize that I am trying to implement with any client that they don't already have. 
And that's usually some form of planning, um, both on a micro daily level and a macro, this is what I'd like to accomplish on the year type level, um, as well as the routines that get their best selves to show up, usually some form of morning uh, launch, shutdown, evening routines. Um, the habits there um, varying, but some form of planning, reflection, movement, uh, writing, meditation, etc. Um, and then I'm trying to identify um, both what is the most important thing that we could accomplish together in the next time period. I'm usually looking at 90-day time intervals, and then what's the major thing that could be a roadblock. So creating some, some metrics, um, set deliverables, creating a timeline around that big hairy goal, and then identifying any obstacles that can come up and putting systems into place to mitigate those obstacles in advance. Um, so it's, I always think of it in terms of these are universal principles with an individual focus and that the principles stay the same, but how we implement and towards what depends on what the person's looking to accomplish. Got it. Got it. So it depends and both <laughs> consulting model. It, it always yep. depends, right? Um, well, if it's cool with you, I want to dig a little bit into the technology side of things because you work very hands-on with entrepreneurs about this thing. And on the one hand, I want to talk to you a little bit about the work that you're doing with the entrepreneurs. On the other side of it, I'd actually like to kind of expand the lens a bit and look at your take on technology in general because it feels like we're at a bit of an inflection point in human history, um, especially because of the... Um, the introduction of a lot of AI tools and things like that and all of the different places where entire industries can be dramatically disrupted. I'm curious how someone who works with technology kind of sees what's going on in the world. So I would like to dig into specifically the work that you do. So maybe that's a good starting point to talk about how you use technology with your clients. But then I'd really like us to kind of go down the path of looking at like what's going on out in the world and how is that going to impact work moving forward as kind of a, a larger idea? Sure. Uh, on a global sense, uh, I try to help clients reduce their reliance on technology. So I'm, I'm very interested in this idea of anti-fragility, that reliance upon anything external to ourselves creates a fragile state, so that the conditions that we need to perform, keeping that list as short and as easy to replicate as possible. I like so I, I kind of go somewhat Luddite in that I move towards paper and pencil wherever possible. That I don't need that I don't need a specific program or even a computer in front of me. I don't need to be in my favorite chair at a desk, et cetera. It's like I am available to do anything at any time and creating context that can be easily replicated. Um, so I, I do a lot of focus on um, mindset around technology because I think that um, that's the highest leverage point. Um, all systems break, keeping that in mind that the system only becomes perfectly optimized when it's at the point of collapse. So this idea of creating the perfect tool that's fully optimized for exactly the right workflow, I think is a fool's errand. Um, I try to emphasize setting up our tools in such a way that if and when we fall off, um, when the tool no longer serves us, we can easily drop in and pick something else up. Um, so I'm usually meeting clients where they are in terms of the tools that they're already using. I don't really get, um, let's say, over prolific about 
this is the best tool for this. It's more what already works for you and how can we amplify that and the, like what you're already doing. Um, I agree with you in terms of we are certainly at the inflection point. Um, that's actually the title of the, my book that is coming out later this year. So oh. maybe a happy accident, maybe not. Um, <laughs> that worked. I, I love the idea of focusing on the point of the curve where we can change our trajectory. And clearly with exponential progress in just about everything that is happening, um, the future beyond a certain point, the singularity is very difficult to predict. So I'm always thinking about and helping clients think about how can they be anti-fragile towards the, the changes that are coming, that they can benefit from these changes rather than needing to backpedal and change what they're doing. And a big part of that is not being reliant on the way things are right? Not being too dependent on the algorithm, not being too dependent on one particular tool or one particular marketing channel that when and if things change, um, you know, they can benefit from that change. So I love this, but I, I have to push back on it because I want to make sure I'm getting it right. So I love this idea of anti-fragile and I love this idea of being basically, it's sort of almost like a survivalist guide for technology, which is that, you know, you should be able to get by and thrive without it. So that's kind of how I'm hearing it and how I'm seeing it in my mind. And, and I definitely think there's a lot to that. Um, I tend to, as a strategist, work with people on making sure they first understand how to think so that when the landscape changes, they can, they can move and grow with it. Mm -hmm. But I want to ask you about where the delineating line is for you between anti-fragile and antiquated or left behind. Because if you if you don't rely on the algorithm to a certain extent, or you don't keep up with where it's going or how it's moving, there's going to come potentially a, a point in time where if you're not part of that party, you get left behind. So how do you go about assessing the landscape and, and advising your clients so that you can put them into a place of anti-fragile without them becoming antiquated? Yeah, I think it's looking at ROI in terms of with anything, we hit a point of diminishing returns. So being conscious where that crossover point is. Um, I think of this idea of Red Queen, right? That we're running, having to run twice as fast in order to keep up with the way things are. And I want to stay away from anything that feels like Red Queen for me. Um, technology moves in cycles, right? So marketing channel being a big example is that being early to the new marketing channel has a ton, a ton of upside. Um, in the poker world where games move all the time, being the first one to a new market, you tend to be on the, the rising tide that raises all ships. But there reaches that inflection point, the point in the S-curve where you hit diminishing returns, where it becomes, becomes you know, time to move on because the, the amount of effort in order to either maintain or increase your position is, is no longer has that same ROI. Um, and I mean, where that point comes to play, um, that factor is opportunity cost, essentially, is what are the other opportunities available? Um, so, yeah, you know, in poker, if they're the old saying, like, it's the only game in town, well, if this is the only channel, then you need to continue to move along. But usually these kind of dichotomies are false dichotomies, and there's usually an option C that we can move towards. Um, I mean, hopefully this is not, this is not too general, but I, I think this idea of going until the point of diminishing marginal return, um, it generalizes pretty well. Yeah. 
No, I can see that. It's tough because so many things move so quickly nowadays. It feels like, well, if I don't get on this, am I going to miss the boat? And then being that far behind on it, I think the, you know, to your point saying, looking at marketing technology is a really great example. If you fall too far behind on it to even catch up seems almost impossible. So I can, yeah. uh, I, I, but at the same time, I think, um, you know, I'm looking at the the best salespeople nowadays aren't necessarily the people that best know how to use LinkedIn. I think that's a helpful skill, but I think it's more likely it's the people that understand how to interact with other human beings, how to identify problems, how to put together the right solutions based upon uh, the data that that a prospect is giving them, things like that. So it's interesting because there's this um, kind of a balance you have to reach between making sure you're paying attention to things and assessing a situation and keeping up while at the same time, not making yourself dependent upon it. And I'd imagine that's not an easy battle to, uh, to win. Yeah, I think that's well said. And you bring up a good point in that this is very dependent upon personal values. Um, a strong one for me is that life is a single player game and that I make my own inner scorecard. So uh, everything comes down to personal values, where for me, I hold highly this idea of, not needing to run and catch up. You mentioned this word behind that I really clue in on is like, I don't want to have to do anything where I feel like I'm falling behind. And some of these soft skills and sales that you mentioned, the things that are relatively timeless, right? The ability to talk to a human in person is not going away in any time soon. And in fact, in this world that is becoming progressively technology mediated, and a lot of these um, internet-based skills are going to be delegated and outsourced to algorithms, this ability to interact face and face is going to become even more of a differentiator and a value add. And so the, the idea being that the half-life of a skill is how long it's been around, right? That needing to talk to someone face-to-face has been very important for thousands of years. It's likely to be still important for thousands of years. Whereas this new tool that has been in prominence for a year has another has a half-life of another year, right? Um, And one more point that you brought up that I think was really cool was this balance idea that if we are continually just heads down and doing, um, doing this deep work, we, we risk the risk becoming irrelevant, right? But if our door is completely open, we spend all day on Twitter being um, fully informed of what's happening in the world, then we don't get to reach a certain level of depth in order to have impact. So it's this keeping an open door while having the, the space that's created in order to do things that are important. And that's a careful balance that's um, really up to each one of us to decide, you know, where does that line fall for us? Where are our values? Yeah, and I think um, the values piece is, is obviously super important in this. And then to your point about spending all day in Twitter, I think another thing that's worth thinking about is how much what is the agenda of any of these particular networks and how is that programming us and changing the way that we behave versus when we're off of technology and we're interacting with other people what, how does that program us and the the initial example i think in my head is if we take uh, online communications as a whole as just like a single unit of measurement of of connection and then we take offline communications as a single unit of connection and, and conversation. It would seem to me that online we are more and more being programmed to behave um, 
disrespectfully in a way that we wouldn't if we were in person. So I also see that there's an implication to where you devote your time and energy and how it's changing how you behave relative to your own values. Absolutely. Uh, I have the underlying belief that our behavior is fundamentally deterministic by the context we find ourselves in. Um, and, and I'll unpack that, right? If we, if we are online, we respond to the, the incentives that that system creates, where we are incentivized to be bolder, to be more controversial, to um, say things loudly, to um, just act in a manner that we would, might not have if there's a little bit more personal accountability in a long-term arc as you would find in an in-person conversation. And that's not necessarily bad in all cases, but it's just something that we have to keep in mind that inherently we will respond to the incentives that we find ourselves in, right? Everyone talks about how we'd love to write long form pieces about what we love and not use hashtags and not, um, not have to you know, complain about Trump or talk about, you know, another piece on how Facebook is changing the way we think, et cetera. But in, we respond to the incentives, right? Certain things that we talk about um, get more traction than others. And that creates a positive feedback loop that more people talk about that thing, which results in more traction, et cetera. Um, and I said, that's why it comes back to, to values is that everyone has to draw that line as far as like, how much are we willing to conform to these incentives in order to hit our goals? Um, and it's, it's clear that to a certain extent, um, as you alluded to before, uh, the amount that our behavior is influenced by these platforms is completely hidden to us and won't be revealed to much later. Yeah, one of the uh, initial, I think, engineers at Facebook basically said that he hasn't let his kids on there. He hasn't, he doesn't work at Facebook anymore, but he had this whole video where he was uh, giving like a talk and said that he wouldn't even let his kids on there because he knows how their, uh, you know, how their system is programming us in certain ways. And they do it by like, you know, uh, the formation of habits, um, you know, creating a trigger or creating a reward, the incentives of the system and things like that. So it's definitely interesting to think about how all of the pieces that we've talked about kind of come together, right? You've got your desire to, uh, to not be reliant upon the system while also not falling behind, while at the same time needing to make the choice about where you dedicate your time and energy and how those choices then um, move to program you to behave in a certain way. You use the word deterministic, which I think is, we could unpack a whole conversation there just about the the nature of free will in a world like this. But if we just take at the very base level that choosing to spend more time online versus choosing more time to uh, more time face to face with people is going to dramatically change what the results that you get are. And And I think that that's a really interesting thought for all of us to kind of think about it as far as like our own behaviors and habits. Yeah, it's a bit dystopian to think about, but imagine you have these big warehouses full of PhD engineers making six figures a year who are staying awake at night trying to find new ways to uh, exploit your cognitive biases. That essentially, you know, Facebook, um, just to name one, is in the business of behavior manipulation that they make money based on the more that you time you spend on the site and the more that you visit advertiser sites, essentially getting you to do things that you would not have done otherwise. And so 
there is a, a extent to the metaphor of a war for attention is apt. Um, and I think the way to come at these tools is, is there a net benefit to using it, right? So people think in terms of, is there, is it usefulness? Is it useful to be on Facebook? That my friends are on there, I can go to events, I can message, et cetera. Clearly there are uses, but is it a matter of, is it net useful to me taking into account all of the hidden costs, right? Bringing those up to mind, making them a little bit more salient. So for me personally, I'm still on Facebook because there is a net benefit, but at a certain point it, it crosses that line to, I am, I am physically better off by not being on there. I mean, the research is very clear that time spent on Facebook is negatively correlated with happiness. And it's kind of hard to argue with that. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's really, it's really a personal choice and it's clear that we are somewhat lobsters slowly boiling in water, right? Where we hop in, the water's pretty cold, but it's very slowly becoming a hot tub and it's not clear at what point we start to boil. Yeah. Well, I want to do a 180 degree turn and take us towards something that's uh, a little bit more optimistic about that. And that's <laughs> how we can take ownership and accountability and control in this situation to move towards a positive outcome. And what I'm getting from the conversation with you is that it's about focusing on what your life priorities are and having those be informed by your values in, as you called it, I believe, your single player game of life and doing it for the highest possible net benefit of the outcomes that you're seeking. So I'd like to know if, if what I just said is sort of a thesis statement for what we've kind of covered today, what what do you think are the steps that people need to know about um, before they finish listening to this podcast? What are the things that they need to take away from this to be more empowered in their life moving forward, to be anti-fragile and at the same time not antiquated? Uh, I think it all starts with knowing what we want to want. Um, so I add that extra metal level there and that I think we can nudge and reprogram ourselves to move towards anything that we infer our values and beliefs by our behavior. So by changing our environment, the way that we interact with other people and, and our technology, we can create a context that enforces or reinforces whatever we want to get ourselves to do. But that raises the question of what do we want to want? Um, and once we have that clear destination in mind, the, the direct path becomes much more clear. And it, all these decisions as far as what role does this play in our lives, it becomes much, much more like a litmus test because we can see whether it's on the path or a distraction to that path. Um, so I'm, I'm always telling people is like any minute you spend thinking about what you want and planning how to get there will return 10x. Um, so that's, that's where I always have people start is getting very clear on goals and then thinking about what is the daily habit, the daily practice that's needed in order to make incremental progress on that. Dig it, man. That's a really great starting point. So I'm sure there's a lot more that you have to cover this. Um, so what I'd like to do at this point is just turn over to you to tell people where they can go and learn more about the work that you do, learn more about uh, the book when it comes out and kind of just keep in touch with you, stay social with you. Um, and, and learn more about the, um, the iceberg that we've just shown the tip of. <laughs> uh, 
I like to think that's true. Uh, I hope this is the beginning of a conversation. Um, I, if anything I said today resonated or you strongly disagree with it, I'd love to hear from you. Um, very easy to get a hold of online. So my, uh, my coaching business is called The Forcing Function. Um, and I can be reached by email at chris at theforcingfunction.com. Uh, as Jeff mentioned, publishing Inflection Point early this year. And I have a few posts up that are preview of those chapters. Um, you can learn all about my system for creating goals, habits, and uh, maximizing your time on my blog, uh, theforcingfunction.com. You can also find me still on all those aforementioned uh, social media places. My handle is at Sparks Remarks. Uh, this has been a lot of fun, Jeff. Thank you so much for having me. Cool, man. Well, thank you for coming on to the show. I, I feel like um, I, I kind of wish that this show at times could morph into more of like a Joe Rogan podcast long form because I feel like we could have like sat here for like two and a half hours while drinking whiskey, talking about the future of technology, the past of human behavior and all that sort of good stuff. But for now, I think that we really touched on a lot of really interesting stuff. I hope you, the audience, uh, have enjoyed it. And I hope that you found this episode as you do with all of our other episodes, shareable. Wait, the show's not over yet. I have some important announcements. If you made it this far, you're clearly a dedicated fan or you're in the middle of vacuuming and just haven't hit stop on your podcasting app. Whatever the case, we want to thank you. We're not just music to your ears, we're music to your inbox. If you subscribe to our email list at sharablepodcast.com slash subscribe, not only will you get access to our private Facebook group, you'll also get all of our blog posts, newsletters, special announcements, and more. You won't find any of that in your podcast feed. You can follow the show at shareable underscore pod on Twitter and just shareable podcast on everything else. You can find Jeff online at jeffgibber.com and you can connect with me on Twitter at Caroline Stone because I don't have a website yet. So go ahead, call us, leave a message, subscribe to our list, leave a rating, review us on iTunes, tell a friend, tell your mom. If she's like my mom, she'll love it. And now for the thank you portion to all the folks that make this podcast possible. Shout out to DJ Quads for the use of our theme song, Always, and Ahimitsu for the use of our outro song, Adventures. And a big thank you to Ray Bueno for all of that sexy production value and our lovely intern, Natalie, who helps me put the show together every week.